So Friday was a rough day. I was um, getting everything prepared for this morning and um, had an appointment at the house at 12 o'clock. Um, I'd made with a company and with their national office and they had set me up and uh, the appointment was to be at noon. And so I left the office about 1130. I went home and I sat there in the house and opened the door and to make sure I didn't miss the person that was going to come. And um, it was 1230 and there was still nobody. And it was about 1240 and there was still nobody. And I said, I'm leaving. And so I left and I went by Taco Bell and got my 350 calorie burrito. And then I came to the church. And um, I started working on my PowerPoint to finish it up for today. And um, I'm going along and all of a sudden it's just gone. And, and PowerPoint's not working. Not only is my PowerPoint gone, but it's not working. And um, I really kind of enjoy making slides for you guys and it just wasn't working. And I'm like, okay, Lord, so PowerPoint's not working and there's nobody here that can help me. And so that's Okay. I'll just uh, go get my handout done. And so I started working on finishing up my handout. And the computer's just going nuts. I mean, I move the cursor and there's nothing going on. It's just driving me absolutely nuts. Um, I get about three quarters through and then it just starts going nuts again. And I'm like, okay. And then in the meantime, the phone rings. And uh, my cell phone, and I pick it up, and I answer it, and they say, is this Tad Blunt? I'm like, yeah, it is, and, uh, except Thad Blunt. And, um, and he said, well, we, we, I just want to let you know I'll be out at your house soon. And I said, well, the appointment was at noon, and it's 1.45 now. And he said, no, sir, it's, it's about a quarter till 12. And I said, well, no, no, it's 1.45. And so it just kind of hit me, and I said, where are you calling from? He said, I'm in California. And I'm like, okay. And he said, I'm coming to 1901 Croydon Circle. I said, well, you're not going to make it. <laughs> in fact, you're not going to make it today. And then I went back to the computer and it was still going nuts. And I'm like, it's the subject. It's what we have to discuss today. It's something that's very serious. It really is no laughing matter. It, it's, it's so serious that Peter really puts a lot in here for us to consider in verses 10 and 11. And it all revolves around the subject of one's salvation. Are you sure that you're saved? Uh, to Peter's credit, he wanted them to be sure. I want to know that you know. Right, Just like you want to know that I know. I want to know that you know for certain that your home is in heaven. That your citizenship is in heaven. That you belong to Christ. That, that at the end of the day, when you brush back all the weeds, nothing else matters but Christ and knowing him. Nothing else. Nothing else matters but knowing Christ. And knowing that you know that you know that you know. Right? that you know, that you know, that you know. And Peter was concerned that they know. 
And he had just spent a, a good long while talking about their, their progression and, and their pursuing Christ. And, and, and he's talking about these things, these virtues that ought to be a part of their life. And that they need to be pursuing these things. And he talked about what the one that looked like was pursuing. You know, this person is, is, is uh, these things, these virtues are abundant in their life. They're overflowing in their life. And then he describes in verse nine, a person who, who lacks these things. And you remember the description he gives about that person in verse nine? He says, they're blind, even short-sighted. Now, all they see is what's around them. They see what's going on right here. I'm afraid that maybe at times that describes us. That, that what we see is, is what's going on in our life and, and we're not living life like, hey, there's a day coming when I'm gonna meet my Savior who is Christ. And Peter's concerned about these guys. And with that concern, he writes verses 10 and 11. As we talk about this morning, what I've entitled here and home. We're gonna talk about here and Peter does in verse 10 and then he talks about home in verse 11. And I've given you notes uh, for you. I did finish them up, all right? The Lord was gracious enough to be able to Debbie punch the computer, right? Hit a button and it started working. Um, so they're there for you to have and I hope you can follow along and I'll try to go at a slower pace so that um, you're able to, to fill in what I didn't put there for you. We begin with the here in verse 10, where Peter says assurance is possible. In fact, he presents it in the form of a command. I mean, he, he's telling them in verse 10 to make sure, make certain about his calling and his choosing you. I mean, he wants them to know. And so we begin in verse 10, Right in the first of the verse, he says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. All right, so some things we need to handle here, right from the beginning. First of all, and I wrote this down for you, um, he uses the term brethren. Now, that might, you might be asking yourself, why in the world would that include that word? But do you know this is the only time that he addresses these believers as brethren in both of his epistles. That well, was kind of interesting because the term is a term of affection or endearment. And remember the big context here. Peter wants his brethren whom he loves to know they're saved. Now that's pretty good, right? And so as brothers in Christ, we want to know, don't we? We want to know that we belong, right? That you belong to Christ and that you belong to Christ and that you belong to Christ. And so Peter has this, has this affection to know their condition. He addresses them in terms of brethren, adding affection to the appeal that he gives to them. And so he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. Now, I want you to notice that verse five, he uses that term diligence. Look back up in verse five. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Well, that word diligence means zealous. It means to make an effort. But notice here that Peter uses a, pro, a, a adverb to go with it. He doesn't just say be diligent. What does the text say? The text says be more diligent. 
Well, that kind of hits me. You know, words just do that with me. I'm like, wonder why? Well, you think about the context and what Peter's talking about here. The assurance of their salvation. So he's saying to them, be more diligent. And so the use of the adverb urges a greater discipline on their part. To be diligent about knowing about his calling and his choosing of them. And so he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain. Now, that makes certain. The reason I wrote that down is kind of interesting. Because, and you're not going to know this looking in your translation, but it's in the middle voice in the Greek. Now, I don't know that that means a whole lot to you. But this is what it means. It stresses the need to make certain for yourself. Okay? In other words, you make certain for yourself. Uh, make certain you belong to Christ. Make sure you're one of his chosen. Make sure he's called you. That's the idea. Um, it's kind of like that whole thing of, I was thinking about an analogy of that. Um, I can be concerned about my neighbor's yard, but I need to be first concerned about what? My yard. In fact, uh, I haven't had neighbors in the past where I look at their yard and I say, well, do you think you're ever going to cut it? You know, um, I've had a neighbor uh, next to me at times where I've even done this. Why well, I'll mow my grass and I love, I love to do yard work. So I mow my grass and I'll give a little bit of a suggestion to that person. And so I will mow maybe one strand in their yard, right? Just one, you know, and then I'm like, well, and they still don't get it the next week. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to mow one more. Maybe they'll get it, Right. The point of this passage, in the context of this passage, Peter is saying, you make sure yourself, right? You make sure you know Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to know about others' salvation, but the point in this text, and the reason he uses this phrase here is because he wants them to know themselves. You make sure you know, right? And then we get to a point of the text where it's like confusing. It's like if you could look at it and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Look what he says. He says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. So his concern is that they know that they're saved. But hold on a second. When we talk about calling and choosing, who does that belong to? Class? The Lord. All right, because look at the pronoun. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about Who's calling and choosing? His calling and choosing. Let's just say it one more time just because we need to. His calling and choosing. All right, one more time. His calling and choosing. I'll say this. A lot of people don't have a problem with the first one. It's the second one that people kind of get stumped with. And we'll talk about that in just a second. I've put all this under the heading in your notes of as we talk about his calling and his choosing of God's grace. Because that's what it is. It's God's grace. His calling is grace and his choosing is grace. That's what it is. Um, W.A. Criswell, in speaking about his calling, says this refers to the effectual call of God in salvation. Um, God's calling takes place in time. Isn't it interesting, the order here? His calling and choosing? That's how we experience it, isn't it? That's how the readers experience it. That's how we experience it. We experience his calling and then we come to understand his choosing as best we can. 
So it refers to God's calling and salvation. There are several passages of Scripture here that I've given to you as examples, or a few. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Such a deep and rich passage concerning salvation. And whom he predestined, these he also, what? Called. Now look at this. And whom he called, these he also, what? Justified or declared righteous. So God's calling takes place in time, but it's also important to remember that one's calling is an act of God. It's what he does. Um, In fact, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me. I want you to hear this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, does that sound pretty clear? Right? I mean, I have a high school education. I even have a college education. I'm working on my master's. And I'm coming to understand, right? This is this just true. I know some struggle with that, right? But the reality is, that's what the Bible says. John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And when he draws him, then John 16 says that he convicts them of what? Sin. Sin. So it is God who calls, and that's what Peter refers to here. So he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and then his choosing you. Well, how are they going to do that? We're going to get to that at the last part of the verse. But it's almost like Peter interrupts the thought. And he says, look, his calling, his choosing. And so again, it's God's grace, his choosing, Um, John Walvoord says concerning his choosing, this refers to God's election of some sinners to salvation. Now let's pause and talk about that for a minute. There are several people that struggle with this doctrine of election. I I recognize that as a pastor. I understand that. In fact, I remember years and years ago, I struggled with it. I was like, man, I've never heard that before. You know, it's like when you come to a subject in the Bible, you're like, I've never heard that before. But then when you start studying, it's like, Whoa, that just keeps coming up. And it just keeps coming up. In fact, the whole book of John's about that. I mean, if you read the Gospel of John, it just keeps coming up. You can't help it. But then when you start thinking about it, it's consistent with who God is. God chose, if you go to the New Testament, He chose men and He chose women. He chose a nation. And God just chooses. And I think, we, I think people, I won't say we, I think people want to try to understand that and it's like, mm, that's past me understanding. But you know what? It's not past believing, it's true. Because the Bible says it's true. Um, I remember years ago, um, I was at another church and, and um, I was on staff in New York at this church and, and, and we were going through... Um, selection of deacons and pastor wanted to talk about the issue of elders and he said that have you ever studied elders i'm like yeah i've heard of them and so i went to the bible and i started studying i'm like man they must be pretty important pastor they're everywhere they're all over the new testament when you think about it there are people that struggle with that aren't there there are people that struggle with this whole concept of elders but It's all throughout the New Testament. It's there. You have to deal with it. 
And the way I look at it, man, wow, what a God we serve because um, there's a protection plan in place for the church. It's not about one man. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the pastor and associate pastor. It's about a group of men that God puts in charge to shepherd people. That's what it's about. So as I studied that, I was like, well, pastor, we need elders. I went to, my conclusion was, hey, pastor, we need elders. I was like 27, 28 years old. Hey, we need elders. And so we took it to the congregation. We said, look, this is what the Bible says. And the congregation said, no. So I know I understand the struggle. I mean, I want, I, 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 I've been there in terms of the election piece. I understand you may be sitting here today and you walk out and go, man, I just don't get that. Can I just encourage you to read the New Testament? Just read it. Read the Gospel of John. Read Ephesians. Read Romans. It's in there. Um, there's some passages of Scripture that point out this clear teaching. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, and there's a typo in there. I put foundations. It should be foundation. Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he, what? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. 1 Peter 1, 1. To these guys that he writes to again, as we're looking at in 2 Peter. Who are chosen at the end of this section. Can I give you a couple suggestions if you struggle with this? really practical you're like man that just doesn't seem fair you know god's not being fair well aren't we glad because if he was fair guys listen we're all going to hell i'm glad for grace i don't know the mind of god i'm certainly not his counselor He's not waiting to hear from Thad Blunt on this. The Bible says he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Um, there's two suggestions I'd give you if you're struggling with this. Um, number one, gratefulness. If you're in Christ today, be grateful. As you get older in Christ, aren't we grateful that we are? Right? Can I give you another suggestion too? If you struggle with this, you're like, well, Thad, if he chose some, well then... Um, that means I really don't have to witness. Well, that's not true. That'd be disobedience. So I say, if you struggle with it, go witness. <laughs> right? I mean, people aren't walking around with a stamp on their forehead that says E, 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 right? We don't know who God has chosen. We don't know that. That's past us finding out. But what we can do is be obedient. You know, one of the verses, the other side of uh, kind of uses the, the people that struggle and I, I, I know there's many that do and they'll say well what about this verse Who sh whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord well that's right you know whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved do you know who the whosoever are those God's chosen but I don't walk around and see people with stamps on their forehead or a shirt that says I'm elect my responsibility is to witness so I hope, I hope I presented that in a way where, you know, you kind of can, can work with that, but also think about it. If you're struggling with it, be grateful that you're in Christ. And if you're struggling with it, 
you're like, man, God's not fair here. Well, then witness to everybody. So Peter says to these guys, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And you're like, okay, well, that's God's thing, his calling and choosing. So Peter, what, what are you talking about? Well, here it is. The end of verse 10, man's responsibility. Man's responsibility simply said, I put this, pursue Christ-likeness. That is our responsibility as believers in Christ. We are to pursue Christ-likeness. And I wrote down here, Peter is totally committed and challenging the believers concerning these things. I mean, how many times does he say it? These things, they, it wears them out, right? But he's concerned that they do what? That there's a total commitment in their lives to pursuing Christ. And notice what it says, verse 10. He says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Man, you read that and you're like, wow, that's pretty loaded. It is. The term practice there is in the present tense, and it means this. It speaks of a pattern of daily conduct. In other words, let me ask you a question. Is there a pattern of daily conduct that a believer should have? Answer, yes. Should it look like this in chapter 1, this list, that, that the Christians should be pursuing these virtues? Answer, yes. And you know, this is not the only list. And, you know, you look, sometimes I think we look at lists in the Bible and we go, man, that's just not, I just, no way, Lord, there's just no way. And if we're treating it as a work that we're going to do ourselves, there is no way. But if we look at it like this, you know what? I must come under the control of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to give you the verse I've given you, if you've been with me for a long time, a hundred times. But I'm going to give it to you again. I was doing premarital counseling this week, and... I was in this section and I can't help it. I mean, you can't just start talking to a, a future husband about his responsibility without first talking about the fact that the Spirit of God needs to control his life. Just like the Spirit of God needs to control my life and your life. And so Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine. He's talking from chapter 4 verse 1 uh, through chapter 6 he's talking about you'll see it used over and over again this term walk 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 and as believers we're to walk like what believers and so as you come to chapter 5 verse 18 Paul says this and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation or excess but be filled with the spirit so he uses the analogy of alcohol. And he says, you don't need to be controlled by alcohol. Well, would we agree? We don't need to be controlled by alcohol, do we? Answer, no. But you could put a lot of things in there, couldn't you? Not just alcohol. I think Paul used that specifically for them for a reason. But we could put a lot of different things in there. I don't need to be controlled by myself. I don't need to be controlled by my job. I don't need to be controlled by my family. <laughs> you say, that family, family's good. Love family. I don't need to be controlled by them. I want to tell you something. Until I got this in my Christian life, it, my, my Christian life was all over the place. But when I finally came to recognize through the Lord that I needed his spirit to control me every day, man, there was a whole lot more victory going on in my life. 
Notice what he says, do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be what? Be filled. That word filled means to be controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit. That's what the believer needs to be. And so as you go back to 2 Peter, guys, practicing these things is possible, but not without the Spirit of God controlling you and me. All right, so he says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Okay, wow, we got to deal with that. Well, he's not talking about losing one's salvation. Okay, so there are some that believe that's what he's talking about here. They write whole doctrines based on this one verse. That he, Peter's talking about losing your salvation. That's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, the Bible tells us what, that when we come to know Jesus Christ, we've been what? Indwelt by the Spirit of God. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. That's what Paul says. So that seal there, the picture of it in Ephesians 1 and 4 is a picture of permanence. I've been sealed by the Spirit of God. So he's not talking about losing one's salvation, and he's not talking in terms of perfection. You know, some may look at this and go, wow, okay, he's talking about perfection. There's, that's not what he's talking about at all. The term in the Greek means to trip up. It means to stagger. And what Peter is saying is that if one practices these, these things, there'll be confidence in terms of their standing before the, before the Lord. It's like this. If I'm walking and living, right, I'm walking in the right relationship with the Lord, I'm, I'm being controlled by the Spirit of God daily, what's going on in my life? There's a confidence that I what? I belong to him. But if on the other hand, there's this dry spot that lasts a while, and let me just interject a few things. Not reading the Bible much at all. Not praying. Not desiring to be around the brothers. Can we at least say there's a problem? There's a problem. I've had that problem. Have you ever had that problem? I'll go short. They've had that problem. We've all been in the desert. Well, Peter would... Listen, if anyone understood what it was to stumble and trip up, it was Peter. How many of you agree Peter stumbled and he tripped up? Many a times. In fact, do you remember he denied the Lord not once, not twice, but how many times? Three. And I I really believe that, that you see the heart of Peter here. Peter doesn't want these guys stumbling. He doesn't want them tripping up. And he knows if they're not pursuing this Christ-likeness, that's what's going to happen. I like what John MacArthur says about this particular uh, verse. He says, if you're a Christian and do not diligently pursue these virtues, you will live in doubt. You will live in fear and you may worry about your spiritual condition. It's true. If you're a Christian, not diligently pursuing these things. Um, I remember the first time that I struggled with this whole thing as in 1984. I was 20 years old. And I remember sitting um, at the admin building on the old campus. is a place to just go think. And I was sitting on the front porch and and, um, I I just was like, man, Lord. And I, I probably had heard 
we had a great professor. So I probably had heard this whole piece of sanctification over and over and over again. But the Lord was working on me. It's like, Thad, you belong to me, but you're not pursuing these things. You're not sold out. And I remember sitting on that admin porch and going, I'm not sold out. I need to pursue these things. I need to pursue righteousness and a holiness because that's what God wants for me. And I remember writing a letter to the man in Louisiana who sat down with me and shared the gospel with me because you know what I, what I feared at that time? You know what there was in my mind? Doubt. I had doubt. I, I had fear. And I, I believe it was genuine at the time. I was like, okay, you know, here's this life over here. And I'm, I, mean, I was going to Bible college at the time. Won't you understand that? But it was all about that. It was all about self, right? And, and I'm like, that's not right. So I really need to pursue this, this whole thing of, of, of holiness and I'm being challenged to on a daily basis. And so I write this letter and Phil writes me a letter back and that letter is about eight pages long. I kept it. And he said, that I remember exactly what took place. You know what that did for me? I thought that letter was nice, but my confidence is not in Phil. My confidence is not on the ink on the paper. My confidence is in Christ. That's where my confidence is. I knew I knew Christ, but I needed to be challenged in terms of my daily walk. How about you? How about today? Do you know that you know that you know? I mean, are you living in any doubt? Is there fear? Well, that's a pretty heavy verse, right? If you're sitting there and, and you're reading there, well, that's, all, that's heavy, but, but Peter wants them to know because he's a man who stumbled and tripped up, but he knew. Well, he goes from dealing with the here to dealing with home. I love verse 11. Verse 11 is an awesome verse. Um, notice what it says. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard. The best translation, now you guys need to hear this. The best translation of this verse is the King James Version. It's the closest to the original in the way it reads. So, but I'm going to read the New American Standard for you. It says, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, this is the way it reads in the, in the King James Version, translated also as well from the Greek. This is how it reads. For so will be richly furnished to you the entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For so will be richly furnished to you the entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he spends one whole verse talking about this home peace. Because home is not here for the believer. Home's in heaven. Paul said that our, our citizenship is in heaven. The question is, how will you enter heaven? How will you enter yeah, will you enter with the confidence and walking with the Lord? Or will you just enter? Now entrance, this is very important here. Entrance is based solely on a person's salvation, right? Solely on their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but it is imperative that we understand 
how will we enter? How will the Lord find us when he comes for us? Let's say the rapture took place today. How's he going to find us? How's he going to find you? How's he going to find me? It's a personal relationship. And so that's a question I think that's imperative. How will you enter? Now, when we think about this concept of celebration, we get that, right? We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. There's a bunch of us that really like college football. We're about to celebrate the fact that it's just a few more days till the hogs are loose, right? I mean, we're excited. I don't know if there'll be a whole lot of celebration going on with my hogs this year. I hesitate to say pray for them, but maybe you should. A celebration, though, right? We understand that whole celebration piece. We get that. But the question still is, how will you and I enter the kingdom of the Lord? There's a really awesome illustration of this. That's why I brought my phone up here. I can actually see my illustrations on my phone. It's pretty cool. Um, The source is unknown, but I'm just going to read you the story. It says, a widely respected man known as Uncle Johnson died in Michigan at the incredible age of 120. Man, that's old. Perhaps his advanced years could be credited in part to the cheerful outlook that characterized his life. One day while at work in his garden, he was singing songs of praise to God. And his pastor, who was passing by, looked over the fence and called, Uncle Johnson, you seem very happy today. He said, yes, I was just thinking. Thinking about what, said the pastor. Oh, I was just thinking that if the crumbs of joy that fall from the master's table in this world are so good, what will the great loaf be like in glory? And that's what it is. Guys, listen, we experience, don't we, right now in this life, we experience the joy of our salvation. We do, but think about it. One day, we're gonna see our Savior face to face in all his glory. I enjoy the crumbs, but I'm looking forward to the loaf. Well, we need to define some terms here. For so will be richly furnished to you the entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Richly furnished is one translation. I mean, the New American Center has abundantly supplied. Now, guys, this is an awesome picture. In, in, in the original, this is a picture of a Roman conqueror. Now, listen to this. This is a picture of a Roman conqueror coming into a city. Guys, listen, one day we're going to go into that city. This is the picture of a Roman conqueror coming into a city welcomed by singers and musicians who would join him in a glorious, happy procession into the city. Does that remind you of a verse? Remind me of a verse. Remind me of a verse. Got to read this. Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going but to a place which he was... Uh, to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going and by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs of the same promise listen to this for he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God 
That's what I'm looking for. How about you? Right? I'm looking for that city. Abraham was looking for that city. Peter describes the entrance. Listen, he describes the entrance of the believer as a celebration. It's a celebration. We're coming into the city. Listen, heaven rejoices at the death of what godly ones. I like what Tony Evans said. I think I've even mentioned this to you before. We need to treat heaven like a promotion, not a demotion. I think the reason that probably we struggle with that, notice I use the pronoun we, is because we live in a pretty good setup. We enjoy all the things around us. But these things around us, guys, they're going to burn up. They're going to burn up. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that entrance. <laughs> and there's going to be, listen, my Savior's going to be there, and, and he, He's going to be there for me. I'm looking forward to meeting Him face to face. But I'm looking forward, guys, to meeting all those who've gone before me who are in Christ. I got questions for the saints of old, a lot of questions. So he says, For so will be richly furnished to you the entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just a couple more things. Notice he says the entrance. Now that's very important because he doesn't just say entrance. He uses the article in the Greek. The article translated the is present for emphasis. The entrance. One entrance. And when you think about it, that's exactly, listen, that's exactly in terms of salvation, exactly what Jesus said and exactly what Peter preached. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me, right? So I'm looking at this entrance. No one comes in the entrance to the eternal kingdom except they know Christ. And then Peter said it in Acts 4. There is salvation in what? No other name but Christ. Don't you feel sorry for these people in our world who say, well, all roads lead to God. You know what, guys? There's one God. There's one God. There's one Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Well, he uses the word entrance, the entrance. For so will be richly furnished to you the entrance into the everlasting kingdom. It's everlasting. Everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I underscored Lord and Savior for a couple of reasons. I want you to know, first of all, that word Lord is defined as master and owner. Master and owner. And so Peter writes here about his master, the one who owns him. And notice that he uses the the pronoun our, right? The kingdom of our Lord and Savior, our master, our owner. I always think about this verse. I was was writing out my my sermon for this week. I I just can't, every time I see that whole Lord piece, I'm always reminded of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. You have been bought with a what? Price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You've been bought. I like that Victory in Jesus song, right? He sought me, he bought me. I'm his, he owns me. Then he uses the term Savior. Not only Lord, but Savior. 
And it refers to the one, listen, listen to this, and this is really awesome. It refers to the one, Savior, who is Jesus Christ. He saved me, past tense. Right? I've been saved. I'm being saved. Okay? And then what? I will be saved. I'll be saved into his presence forever and ever and ever and ever. I like the way one, in referring to heaven, the way one theologian put it, he said, my, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. <laughs> I'm just traveling through this world. William Barclay says, for the Christian, heaven is the dwelling place of the Lord We do not need to speculate on what heaven will be like. I love this quote. It is enough to know that we will be with him forever. Hey guys, that's exactly what Peter wanted for these guys. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to know that they were going to be with the Lord. You say, well, can we have confidence in that? Yes, we can. As we live for the Lord... As we pursue holiness, as we pursue Christ-likeness, we can have the confidence that we belong to him. But if I'm never concerned, if there's hardly ever any concern about spiritual things, there's a problem. There's a problem. And I've known many people who thought they were saved and they realized through the Spirit of God's conviction in their life they weren't saved. So where's home for you? Is home here? There's home heaven. We're just pilgrims passing through. We're in Christ. Where is your home? Chris Tomlin has a song entitled Home that I want to play for us this morning.